Uh, so, hey, good morning. My name is JT. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here at Freshwater. I'm so thankful everybody is here today. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Um, if you come to Freshwater for any amount of time, you'll know that's one of the first things we always start with is turn in your Bibles too. Um, and so if you don't have a Bible, let us know. We'd love to get you a Bible. Um, that's what we that's what we're in every week, because in the end, no one's going to care what I had to say 10 years from now, but the Word of God is going to stand forever. And so that's what we teach, and that's what we focus on. Um, just in case you're wondering, some of us have name tags on. This is from the elementary class. Gary, you're looking good back there. I don't know if you... I don't know about your name, but you are a child of God. They for sure got that. And so that's names and being children of God might come up today. It might come up today. Um, but anyway, hey, um, I'm going to pray, and then we are going to jump in the word of God today. Um, Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be here today. Got to be able to gather as a family and talk about you and worship you. Got to come here and, and hear your word taught, to read your word together have your Holy, Holy Spirit change us and transform us. And so, God, I pray you just guide us in our worship of you today because that's what we want to do. We want to honor your name. We want to give you glory. We want to worship you because we know it's through the worshiping of you and making much of your name that we are transformed to be more like your son, Jesus. And so in all the things that we do today, God, I pray that um, it would be worthy of you, that we would bring you praise and adoration for you are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so before we jump into Matthew 6, I want you to a favor for me. I want you to think about conversations that you have with your like best friend or the people that you have the best conversations with, uh, the conversations you have with your spouse. And so if you have a time where you actually have time to have a conversation without distractions and you're just talking, what kind of conversations do you typically have? With the people that you trust the most, you have the best conversations with. Like just for a second, think about it. What what do your conversations normally look like? So sometimes it's probably talking about the good things that are going on in your life, right? Good news, good things. Like you just couldn't wait to share what's on your mind lately because we have a good relationship. She's like, you're not going to believe what God's doing right now, right? So we we were just talking about that in the break right then, right? We're, We're celebrating good things. We talk through problems together, right? Sometimes we need just someone just to hear us or maybe we need to hear their wisdom or maybe they've been through something that they can help guide us through that. So that's those conversations, we share our worries and our fears and anxieties, and sometimes we need people to talk us off the ledge, or we need to get those things roaming around in our brain, we just need to get them out so that we can hear them out loud and have somebody else speak truth to us. Sometimes, sometimes it's sharing and suffering. Suffering alone is so difficult, but if you can have someone in your life that you trust, that you can share suffering with, it makes all the difference in the world. Sometimes we just need help, whatever that looks like. Sometimes you get together with people and just complain to each other, just kind of vent. Don't, don't act like you don't, right? Sometimes you just got to complain. <laughs> sometimes you just got to vent. And maybe the other person needs to, like, sympathize with you, and sometimes they need to be like, you got you to slow your roll, right? You got you to gotta settle that down. But we need both of those things sometimes. If you're really close, hopefully you can share in failures, maybe even sin, where you've, you've failed and you need to confess to the Lord, but you also need to confess to a friend. That's a good friend that can either support you in that and guide you to the forgiveness of Christ, but maybe even call you out when it's necessary because they do it in love. Or maybe it's just, you're, man, you're thinking about how awesome your spouse is, you're thinking about how awesome your friend is, or whoever, your family member, whatever, and you're just thanking them for how great they are, and the support that they've given you, and it's just a joy to know them. Listen, these are normal conversations, right? These are what healthy marriages look like. These are what healthy friendships look like. These are what healthy conversations look like. This is how you grow relationships. For anybody that's been here over the last few weeks, does anybody see where I'm going with this? 
If you haven't been with us, we're in a series. It's there called prayer. Nice work. Prayer, hallowed be thy name. Right? We're going to talk about hallowed be thy name today. But we're talking about prayer because prayer is a struggle for so many people. And even for the people that it's not a struggle for, even the people that have, they would say they have a, here's a very Christian phrase, a good prayer life. They want to still want to grow in their prayer life, right? I still want to be closer to God. I still want to grow in, in how I talk to God in my prayers. And so that's what this series really is about. Every week we're adding a little bit deeper layer to what it looks like to talk to God. And that fits into our, our definition of prayer. Prayer's got a lot of different definitions. I told you I saw three word definitions and I've seen definitions of prayer that are a paragraph long. But our definition of prayer is just simple. It's this. Prayer is a personal conversation and spiritual encounter with God. A personal conversation and a spiritual encounter with God. Um, as Jesus told us in the four verses we we covered in the last two weeks. Prayer is not a show for other people. It's not so people can look and hear your prayer and think you sound holy or you sound like you got all the right words and, and say all the right things. And prayer is also not just something that we just repeat the same phrases over and over so we can check the religious prayer box and say, well, I prayed today and I said the things I normally say and I repeated the words I normally repeat. No, no, prayer is meant to be a conversation. It's meant for, here, here's a good word. It's meant to be worship. Through a personal conversation with God, it's meant to, that's why we call it a spiritual encounter. My spirit encountering the Holy Spirit and driving me to worship the God of the universe who welcomes me into that conversation. This is about really going to God, as Jesus said, in secret, not when people are watching. Yes, pray corporately, but more importantly, go to God when no one's watching because you love him and talk to him and connect with him and have him grow you and worship him. That's what prayer is really supposed to be. But like all conversations with those we love, there are many different types of prayers. There's many different types of, of prayers. We can have, there's prayers of thankfulness, right? There's prayers of intercession where we're interceding on others' behalf. On others' behalf. There's praying for our own needs. There's praying for others' needs. And here's one we talked about a minute ago. There's, prayer, there's literally prayers of complaint, like, that's a thing. Like, in, especially if you look through Psalms, it's just like where people are just complaining to God because life is hard or their struggles are hard. And listen, God can handle those kinds of prayers. Those kinds of prayers are in Scripture. There's prayers, like literal prayers of complaint. And then you can kind of bridge into another type of prayer, prayers of lamentation. When you're crying out to God when you don't understand or when you're suffering or when bad things are happening and you just, you don't fully comprehend it or you're just so, you're just so sad. You're just crying out to God in your sadness. Sometimes related to that, there's prayers of confession and repentance. There's prayers of self-examination, like talking to God about where you are and who you are and helping to shed light on that. There's prayers asking for wisdom. God promises to give us wisdom. There's prayers, listen, we just simply talk to God. Like as we talked about before in Colossians, pray without ceasing. We're just, we're not setting aside the special time, which do that too, but you're just talking to God as you go about what's going on in your life and asking him to guide you. There's all kinds of, of prayers. And so what Jesus did in verses in Matthew 6, 5 through 8, which is what we covered over the last couple weeks, is he kind of showed us how not to pray, right? Don't pray so that you'll look good to other people. Don't heap up a bunch of empty phrases and a bunch of empty prayers. No, go to your father in secret where it's just between you and him. No, come to him where you're actually worshiping him and talking to him and connecting with him. So Jesus showed us not how not to pray and, and really how to come to God in prayer. What's the appropriate way to come in prayer? Now, so now that he's helped us and he's kind of rightly aligned our hearts and our minds to what what prayer, at least in the foundation, is supposed to be. He's going to give us an example today, the Lord's Prayer that we've read, and we're going to dive into that today. I just want you to 
be reminded if you weren't here last week. One of the reasons that Jesus gave this prayer is, one, he's, he's preaching a sermon. He's talking about all kinds of things, the Sermon on the Mount, right? He's talking about anger, and he's talking about lust, and he's talking about marriage, and he's talking about divorce. I mean, he's talking about generosity. He talks about all kinds of things, and in the middle of this, he talks about prayer. But we see from Luke 11, one of the reasons he addressed this is the disciples said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And if you didn't hear me say that before, that's kind of a crazy thing for them to ask because the Old Testament is full of prayers. Psalm, Psalms is 150 prayers, basically. They had plenty of prayers to look through. Jewish people were a prayerful people. Like they, they would stop in the synagogues. They'd sometimes stop on the street to pray at certain times of day. Yet these Jewish disciples who have probably prayed their whole life, they're seeing the way that Jesus is praying. They're hearing the way that Jesus is praying. And they know it's different. They know it's not the same thing that they grew up with. And so they say to Jesus, teach us to pray. Which I just think is profound. Listen, there's lots of examples we're going to talk to, but sometimes you get nothing else to pray. Just talk to God and say, God, teach me to pray, to connect with you. Because that's what Jesus does. He connects to the Father. Teach us to pray. And so in his sermon, and because of this request, Jesus gives the disciples an example, and now us an example of prayer. And what I love about this prayer is Jesus' prayer starts with what might be the most important type of prayer. I'm going to go ahead and rank prayers today, right? That's a dangerous thing to do, but I think, I'm on, I think I'm on safe ground ranking how important certain prayers are. Today, Jesus is going to start his prayer with a prayer of praise, of adoration, of worship. He's going to start a prayer not focused on himself, but focused on God. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to read our whole passage, so go ahead and open up to Matthew 6. We've read it two times already. We're going to read it every week of the series because I want this to just be locked in your heart and your mind. We're going to start in verse 5, and we're going to read through verse 15. Now, we're going to come back and focus on verse 9 today, but we're going to start in 5. Read the whole thing. How will water not come out of that thing? It's so weird. All right, so we're going to read down to 15, and then we'll come, we'll come back and we'll talk, talk about 9 more specifically. So read with me in Matthew 6. Verse 5, and when you pray, you must not pray like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that, you have, that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases, empty prayers as the Gentiles do, For they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, before we jump into that prayer, is Jesus giving us this example because this is the prayer that we should pray all the time? I know that's a leading question, right? I I hope we know the answer to that. He just said... Don't just heap up empty phrases, meaning don't just heap up empty prayers. Don't just repeat the same thing on repeat over and over and over. Like if every time I sit down with my wife and I say the exact same thing to her, I love you, you're smart, you're pretty, you're a good mom, see ya. 
And that's all I ever, like, how, how good's our relationship going to be? Am I connecting with my wife at all? <laughs> right? That's, that's, not how com, that's not how relationships work. That's not how conversations work. And, that, and that's the point that Jesus was making. Now, that being said, don't just put this prayer on repeat all the time in your head. Now, at the same time, is it a bad thing to come back to this prayer all the time? No. Right? It's all about the conversation. I come back to the Lord's Prayer all the time, and I don't know if it's just because we're in the series right now, but the last two Sundays, I started my prayers this morning, praying for our church with this. Think, but it's me thinking about what it means to call God my Father, and like meditating on that, and thinking about that, and talking to God about how incredible it is that he's my Father, and thanking him that he's my Father, and what that's meant in my life. Like that, I come back to that all the time. Come back to Scripture. Come back to prayers all the time. Just don't let them become rote. Just don't let them become something that's on repeat. Don't let them become the, the verse that you put on your phone that pops up every day that after four days you ignore and it pops up every day and you just hit delete and it doesn't mean anything. No, that's not what it's supposed to be. This is about connecting with God. So yes, this prayer is powerful if you're using it to come to God in relationship because Jesus is leaving us an amazing example. So let's start with maybe what I think. This is an opinion. Maybe the most incredible thing in this prayer, the fact that we get to call God our Father, our Father who is in heaven. Do you know in, in Jewish culture, it was frowned upon to call God Father? Now, there are references to God as Father in the Old Testament. I don't know if you know this. There's not very many in the Old Testament, though. It's, it happens very rarely. But they, they thought it was irreverent. This is one of the reasons that they hated Jesus. Because Jesus not only called him Father, but we see in Mark 11, Jesus called him Abba, Father. Like, that was how Jewish boys and girls would re- refer to their father in Jewish culture. It carried a tremendous amount of closeness, of intimacy. It's like a dad and his kids, right? The way that they talk together, the way that they just come and say whatever is on their mind. Your kids just can come and say to you, whatever. This is the phrase that Jesus used to refer to his relationship with God, and they did not like that. How dare you refer to God in such irreverent ways? But that's the relationship that Jesus had with God. God the Father. And by the way, this is the relationship that we've been invited into through Jesus Christ. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Romans 8. Go right in your Bibles, four or five books, to Romans chapter 8, to, here it is, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. As you know, this might be my favorite chapter in the Bible. It's, it's up there. It's close. And this is, I'm not going to call this passage one of my favorite passages it is, but this is a passage I've, I've prayed over and I've prayed through so many times. And I know I've said that a lot in the series so far, but I, maybe this is selfish, but I'm trying to leave you an example of what it looks like to pray the word of God. Because that's something we talked about a lot last week. Just pray. You don't know what to pray? Just pray God's word. Talk to God about what's in his word, and you'll never run out of things to pray. Right? And so what is the truth that is in this scripture I have needed so badly in my life to remind me of who God is and who I am in him. I've prayed over this. I've thought of this so many times in my life. So we're going to be in Romans 8. And we're going to read verses 12 through 18. Romans 8, chapter 12. starts like this. So then, brothers, or brothers and sisters, we are debtors. Not to the flesh, that means like our sin, our own desires, to live according to the flesh, according to our sin. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, that's Kepel S, that's Holy Spirit. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now I want you to remember, that sons has nothing to do with male or female. 
That sons there is a representation of firstborn sons. Remember in the ancient world, the firstborn son is the one who inherited, if not everything, most of everything. The firstborn son is the one who carried on the image, who carried on the name of their father. It was a big deal. They were, you could say it this way, they were the image bearers of their family. And this is what God calls us, his firstborn sons, his firstborn children. Verse 14 again. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as firstborn sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, explanation point. This is crying out to God, Abba, Father, knowing that he hears us, knowing that we have that kind of relationship. Verse 16, the Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We are a part of his inheritance, provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. This is why we wrote down today, children of God. We are children of God. And even when we suffer, it's a reflection of Jesus Christ. It's a reflection that we're children of God. Right? Our our suffering seems so difficult to understand. But what this is is really trying to tell us is, man, our, our suffering makes us more like Jesus Christ. Like as we suffer, particularly when we suffer for Christ, we suffer and we turn to, to Christ. We suffer with Christ, the one who suffered for us. That's what Jesus Christ did. He suffered for us so that he might redeem us. So even when we suffer, we are being transformed to be more like our Savior who suffered. Through our suffering, we turn to him, we become more like him, and God is building this weight of glory into us that will make us more like Christ, help us to do in this life, and that will be celebrated forever in heaven. Your suffering is not wasted. Your suffering is a reminder that Christ is enough, more than that, that you're a child of God who can cry out to, you, to your God when you suffer, Abba, Father, knowing that he hears you and that he's with you. This is the relationship we get to have with God because we are children of God and we get to call him Father. And this all comes because of what Jesus Christ accomplished on our behalf. We have this privilege because of Christ who went to the cross to pay for all of our sin. And on that cross, if we believe in him, like his sin washes all of that sin away. As you guys know, that not only did he wash away our sin, but he gives us his righteousness, his holiness. That's why we can come to God, to God with confidence. Because there was that gap between us and the garden, right? Adam and Eve's sin. Now, because of that sin, there was a separation between us and God. There was a chasm that we could not cross from our sin to God's holiness. Jesus is that bridge. He brought that chasm together so now we can come into the presence of God. The veil has been torn down through Christ. Whereas the, the Bible says he is now our Mediator. Do we have 1 Timothy 2 over there, Eric? This is what it says about Jesus Christ. For, for there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Jesus is fully man. The man Jesus Christ, he's also fully God. So he's the perfect representation of both. Listen, you don't need a person, you don't need a man or a woman to come to God. Jesus Christ is the man God who is our mediator. We go and we talk to him. And he goes behalf of the Father for us. He is the bridge that allows us to go right to the Father. Jesus Christ and the Father are one and we get to share in that relationship. So we go to God with absolute confidence. Do you know why this is also why we pray in Jesus' name? John 14, we got that one? John 14 says this. This is Jesus talking. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 
if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. You ever wonder why we close prayers in Jesus' name? Amen. It's because this is what Jesus told us to do. He's invited us into the relationship with the Father. And not only that, when we pray to God in Christ's name, believing that we can come to God with absolute confidence because of Christ and because we get to share in that relationship of Christ with the Father, now we get to call him the Father, it brings God glory. Do you think about it that way? You want to know how to walk in the will of God? You want to know how to glorify God? Talk to him and prayer in a meaningful way because you know Jesus has opened up that way for you as your mediator. That brings God glory. He is your father. It honors him that you come to him with confidence knowing that he's going to hear you and knowing that he's going to answer. And as we've talked about in the other week, sometimes that answer is a long way off, sometimes it's immediate, and sometimes the answer is no because God loves us and we are sometimes morons and ask for the wrong thing. Sometimes we ask for terrible things. We find out like a year later, that was a terrible thing to ask for. But God knows, and he's there for you. He's a good father. He's going to protect you in that. It brings God glory for you to ask in Jesus' name. So we pray with absolute confidence. Jesus has restored what was lost in the garden. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. But we're not just to recognize God as our Father, which is an unbelievable truth. That's why we have these name tags on. We're children of God. We talked with the kids this morning. But it also says, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Is there anybody in the room, you don't have to answer, but has never actually found out what hallowed means? Never really thought through it? Like, this is something that people have on repeat. When I was in high school, after every football game, they recited the Lord's Prayer. I was thankful for it, but... I didn't know what hallowed mean. Who uses hallowed, right? But here's what hallowed means. You can get it from context probably, right? But hallowed means to be set apart. Another way you can say that is to be made holy. We are to set God's name apart as holy, as distinct from everything else. We're to keep, we're to keep God's name in reverence, in fear. This is what really fear means in the Old Testament, right? Reverence, fear. Actually kind of a little bit of fear because he's God and we're not. He's our father. I was a little bit, I love my father with all my heart, but I was a little bit afraid of him. Right, This healthy fear of his discipline, right? We're to, we're to hold God's name in reverence, in fear. It's to keep his name in the highest honor and praise above all other things. That's what it means to hallowed Jesus' name. And so this is Jesus starting his prayer with not only something very personal and intimate, calling him Father, but with a prayer of adoration, a prayer of praise, a prayer of thanksgiving. You know, there's another example of this kind of prayer that I absolutely love, and it comes from Jesus' mom, Mary. When Mary finds out that she's pregnant, and that God's not only, the Holy Spirit's not only made her pregnant, but has given her the one that's going to bring salvation to her people, bring salvation to the world. This is Mary's prayer. Can we get Luke 1 up there? I just love it. It's such a beautiful example of this. So Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And and holy, hallowed is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. I love that prayer because she's thanking God for things that he's done for her. But really, this prayer is about God. This is about his name, the things that he is doing. And he's using her to do it. She's like, thank you for using me to, to bring glory, to bring honor, praise to your name. She's hallowing God's name here. This is a great example of a prayer to follow. You want to write a prayer down? Like, I don't know what to pray today. 
look at Mary's prayer and think about what God has done in your life and think about who God is and think about holding his name high and just talk to God about that. That's a great way to begin a prayer. This is really important. This hallowed be your name is a really important thing in the Bible, and it's something that we've been talking about lately, but I don't think a lot of people talk about. If you remember, God's name in Scripture carries a tremendous amount of weight with it because it's a display of who he is. God's name, Christ's name, it declares his glory. In Exodus, in Psalms, in the prophets, in other places, there's so many places that God's name declares his character. Here's a specific example Psalm 86, 15, we've got that one right there, right? But you, O Lord, are gracious and are, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I don't know if you know this, but this, that, that phrase right there, that phrase is on repeat in the Old Testament. It comes up again and again and again. We're going to look at another passage later that talks about this again. It comes from when Moses was before God and he said, I want to see your glory. And God's glory passed by Moses and God's glory declared his name. And this is what it declared. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. When we think of God's name, we think of We should think of this. We should think that God is holy, holy, holy. He is set apart. He is beyond. He is the I am. And he is this because his name declares this. Now that might seem obvious, but have you ever prayed over that passage? When you talk about praying scripture, you should memorize this scripture. I don't care if you memorize it from Exodus or Psalm 86 or Psalm 145 or the other places in scripture that it pops up, but like, The scripture is telling you, and it's on repeat throughout the Old Testament in particular, but also into the New Testament, that this this doesn't sum up all of God's character, but it must be important because it gets repeated again and again and again in the Old Testament. But I have talked to God about this so many times. And again, this is not on repeat, but like sometimes I just stop and I think about like God's mercy. You meditate on God's mercy and his grace, like what that even means and how God purchased grace and mercy for us and what it cost him and what it cost his son and what Jesus was willing to do and like how slow to anger God is. Do you know what I deserve from God? Do you ever, do you ever know what, have you ever felt what you deserve from God? The judgment, the wrath, the punishment, the discipline, yet God is so slow to anger when it comes to me that he's abounding. He has more than you could ever, we would ever need or ever want. He is abounding with steadfast love. A love that won't fail, that won't stop, that won't give up. People give up on us. God will never give up on us. If you just stop to talk to God about how steadfast he is, and why is he steadfast? I don't deserve for him to be that steadfast. Do you? Sometimes I almost, I, in the past when I was struggling with sin, I almost got angry with God because he was so steadfast. Because I just didn't deserve it. And I just didn't, I didn't want it to be true that he was going to forgive me again. That's how, that's how, how ugly sin can get within you. Like, I don't even want God's grace anymore. It's not fair. Well, God's not giving you fair, child of God. He's giving you steadfast love and faithfulness. He may give you discipline because he loves you to try to bring you back, but his love is steadfast. You ever talk to God about that? You want things to pray about? Pray about these things. Because this is who our God is. And listen, names matter, don't they? They talked about this in the elementary class today. Names matter. When you think someone knows your name and they forget it or they say it wrong, it might not destroy you, but depending on the situation, it could really hurt your feelings, or you could just be like, okay, whatever, they don't know my name, that's cool. But it, names matter. 
There's this guy I play pickleball with. I won't say his name in case someday he listens to this. But there's this guy I play pickleball with. He's an older guy, super great guy, super nice guy. And I play with him consistently. And the first time I introduced myself, I introduced myself as, well, JT, because that's my name. And that lasted about three times, and then he started calling me TJ. But I've been called TJ 10,000 times in my life, so it's okay. If you're new to Freshwater Church, we have a soon-to-be pastor who's named TJ, and I'm JT. It's confusing. Call me TJ. It's okay. But it's happened to me so many times in my life. And so after a minute, like, I corrected him. I was like, hey, it's, it's totally cool. I get called TJ all the time, but it's actually JT. He's like, oh, my, yeah, yeah, my bad, my bad. So that lasted for a little bit, and then he started calling me TJ again. And then other people corrected him. And he started calling me JT, but then eventually it went back to TJ. And so everybody just kind of gave up. Right? So the next two or three months, I was TJ to this guy. Everybody around him is calling me JT, but he calls me TJ. It's fine. I just let it go. But then a guy named, not this guy, a different guy I play pickleball with, real nice guy, named TJ, came to play with us. And he introduced himself to this guy. And he's like, oh, we got another TJ. And he's like, who? And TJ knows me. And he's like, TJ. He's like, well, well, I'm TJ. He's JT. He's like, no, he's TJ. And he's like, no, he's JT. And he's like, your name's JT? I'm like, yeah. He's like, no, you told me your name was TJ. I'm like, no, we talked about it, and you were calling me, but it's totally fine. He's like, no, 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 you called me TJ. So I was sitting there thinking, your solution to this problem is, on multiple occasions, I forgot my own name and told you the wrong name. Not that you're wrong, that I forgot who I am. Um, and, and it was totally fine. But you know what? Names matter. So, you know, like, it really didn't offend me. Like, this guy, he's older. He's super nice. It's, it's confusing, right, TJ and she. But because names matter, the next, like, eight times I was around him, he's like, hey, JT, what's up, JT? Nice shot, JT. Hey, I'm, I want to partner with you, JT. He couldn't say my name enough because he wanted me to know that he knew my name because names actually matter. What other creature in all creation genuinely cares about their name? Like, none. Like, this, listen, this is a reflection of who we are, the image bearers of God. His name matters. When we think of people's names, when TJ did a good job with the kids today, when somebody, if you go out there and you're talking to someone and you're talking about Freshwater Church and they ask, who's your pastor? And you say, JT. And they're like, oh, I know JT. They're not thinking of initials, JT. No, they're thinking about who I am, who they know me to be. They're thinking about my character. They're thinking about what they know. They might be thinking, that guy's a pastor? Or, oh yeah, I can't, I'm not surprised he's a pastor, right? They're thinking about who I am. Names matter. And this is what God is reflecting. His, his name is a reflection of who he is, of his character, of what he stands for. Names are important. Not only that, but hallowing God's name is an, it's an amazing reminder of what our faith and what our prayers really should be about. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but let's look at Psalm 2511. You got that one? For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. We're talking about meditating and thinking. I, I just want you to think for a second. I'm going to be quiet for just a few seconds. I don't want you to think about what that's really saying. I want you to think about why that's just so incredibly important. Here's what I think. 
and I'm included in this, so I'm going to say we. I think so often we go into our prayers, and like most other things in our life, they are a little bit selfish. And you know what? It's okay. We can go to God selfishly. He can handle it. And he can correct our heart through selfish prayers. Now, here, I want to, something I want you to hear. I'm not saying we don't go to God and just ask for what we need. We, I'm not saying we don't go to God and confess. I'm not even saying every prayer has to start with us hallowing God's name every single time. If you remember the prayer example that Jesus gave in Luke 18 of the tax collector, what was his prayer? Have mercy on me, O Lord, a sinner. That was his prayer. And Jesus said, that man is going home justified, right? Confessing your sin, just confessing your sin to God because that's all you've got is a good thing. But I want you to look at, look, look at this prayer. So seen rightly, even when we confess our sin, even when we're, we're crying out for God's grace and forgiveness, we can make that just about us, about our sin, about what we have done. And what it's really about is when we confess our sin to God, when we recognize that we need, we need to repent and we need God's forgiveness, that moment is really about God. It's about God's glory. It's about his goodness to forgive you. Like, listen, when God forgives a sinner, when he forgives someone who doesn't deserve it, it brings him glory. It displays his character. It displays his name. And so this psalm so, so eloquently states to us, listen, in the end, even your sin is not about you. And when you make your sin all about you and how terrible you are and what you don't deserve, then you have thoughts like I talked about earlier. You can't hardly go to God and accept for forgiveness because you're making it about you. No, make it about God and his goodness and his forgiveness. So then you can actually let go of your sin and move forward. You know I'm not saying make light of your sin. Your sin is cosmic treason against God. Your sin matters. It carries weight. But take your guilt, take your shame to the cross. And for the sake of God's goodness, for the sake of his name, for the sake of what Jesus Christ did for you on that cross, accept that forgiveness and move forward because your God loves you. And it brings God glory to forgive you. I don't know if you've picked up on this yet, but not just verse 9. The first Half of this prayer isn't about us at all. It's about God and about who he is and about what he has done and what he is doing and us asking him to be a part of his will. One of the greatest mistakes we can do in prayer is always start with us. Listen, I'm not saying it's always wrong to start with you, but one of the greatest mistakes we can make is always starting with us. You know why? Because we are the problem. We're the problem. I don't know if you've ever heard of the pa a pastor named G.K. Chesterton, but he was an English pastor, big surprise, with a name like Chesterton. He was a pastor about 100 years ago in England. And one time a newspaper article asked him to write a newspaper article, write an article for, for their paper, and here was the title. The title of this article was, What's Wrong with the World? You ever heard this before? So G.K. Chesterton said, yeah, I'll write that article. So he wrote the article, and he sent it back to them, and they opened it up. Do you know what it said? Title of the article, What's Wrong with This World? And he wrote, I am, sincerely, Chesterton. I am the problem. We are the problem. So yes, church, when we pray, we ask God, for what we need and what we desire. Yes, ask him. Yes, confess. Yes, intercede for other people and ask God to intercede and help them, whatever you need to do. But how much better, how much more godly, how much more holy, how much more effective do you think our prayers would be if you didn't always start with you, but you started with God? 
What would what happen if you started your prayers with praise and thankfulness and worship? If you started your prayers by meditating on what the word, word of God says about God's character, about his promises, about his fulfilled promises, about God's love, about God, God's steadfastness, about God's mercy, about how God forgives you when you sin. How might that transform your prayers? Listen, how might that transform your life if this is how we all pray? Again, I don't want to make my sermon, and I don't want to make this all about me, but listen, I want you to find people in, in the church, in your life, that you feel like they have a strong prayer life. You respect the way they pray. You respect the way they talk to God, and not because you're impressed by them, but you can see the intimacy that they have with God, and I want you to ask them and learn from them. I think that this is a weird thing. I think we get in discipleship relationships, but in your discipleship relationships, how often do you talk about prayer, how prayer is going? how connected you feel to God through prayer, how you guys can work together to help improve your prayer, like what, what's working to help you connect with God and stir your affections for God through prayer. I don't think this is something that we talk about very often. How weird is that, right? This is a staple of our faith. Like, like I said last week, how many of you know people that know the word of God backwards and forwards but seem to have just cold hearts that they beat people over the head with their judgment and the Bible knowledge? But again, how many people do you know that are intimate, deep, that to have intimate, deep prayer lives with God that are unkind or mean or don't love other people. Like, I've never met someone that has this, like, deep, affectionate prayer life with God that, it, that reflects coldness or unfaithfulness. I just, I've never seen it. And so I'm giving you some examples of my prayer life, and I want you to ask other people so that you might grow. And I want you to talk to me so I might grow. But listen, I, maybe this seems like a pastory thing to say. I don't know. Talk to me after the service. But I pray about God's holiness all the time. We take for granted that God is who he is. But look, look, as I've said before, look at the gods and other faiths throughout the history of the world, and they're a horror show. I mean, it's just unbelievable, the things. Like the Hindu gods, like I told you, I've been to India multiple times on mission trips. The Hindu gods are a disaster. That's what they bring to the world, good things and disaster. Yet we have a God who is holy. I just thank God because he's holy. Because he's God, he could be whatever he wants. But he's holy, and what a privilege it is that we have a holy God that we can count on. I pray and I talk to God about his, as I said before, about his steadfast love. What that means, I talk about his grace. Man, I talk to God all the time about the fact that he sent his son. I have a son. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around, but he sent his son and that Jesus Christ was willing to do what he did. I, I, I talk to God all the time about the promises that he fulfilled in his son, the promises that he's promising, promising us he's going to fulfill in his son. I talk to God about his justice. I'm so thankful that God is for the poor and for the weak. He's not for the strong. Like, I can't fix all the problems in the world, but I can count on a God who's going to make all things right in the end because he's a just God. Man, I just thank God for his glory. Do you ever talk to God about those things? Not just asking for stuff. Listen, ask. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. Ask. I'm not knocking asking. But what if we started with this? What if we thought about this first? Church, we're the problem. God is our solution. We are sick with sin, church. And Jesus Christ is our healer and great physician. Church, we are weak, but in the Holy Spirit, we are strong because the Holy Spirit is our strength. We start in praise and worship of the one who is our redemption, who is our justifier, who is our victory, who is our savior, who is our holiness, who is our father, who is our God. That's what it means to hallowed his name. That's what it means to hallow, hallowed his name.
And this is the God that we get to call Father. And that's incredible that we get to call him Father. And we get to be his children. Church, every week so far in this series, we're going to do it every week in the series, we've closed with a prayer from the Word of God. And we're going to do the same this week. So I want you to turn to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. If you're, again, if you're unfamiliar with your Bible, Psalm 145 is almost directly in the middle. Psalm has 150 chapters. It's the most chapters in the Bible. It's right towards the end of Psalms. Psalm 145. And here's why we're doing this. Not only because it's a good example for us to read, but as I said every week, some of us, man, we really struggle with prayer. Some of us haven't really talked to God in a really long time. And some of us just talk to God constantly. But all of us can look to examples that are in Scripture and we can use them to grow. So here's what I want you to do. We're going to pray as soon as this psalm is over. And so as we go through Psalm 145, I'm guessing if you're really paying attention and if you really stand with me and you're reading the words, that the Holy Spirit's going to do something in you and something in that, in that psalm is going to stick out. Maybe it's a three or four verses. Maybe it's one verse. Maybe it's a word. But something sticks out. And then I want you to pray about that. And when I say pray, I want you to talk to God. I want you to have a, a personal conversation with God. And I want you to worship God for the things that he is. Because this, this is a prayer of worship, of praise. And I want you to praise God. So listen, we're, well, I'm going to take two or three minutes for us to pray individually as soon as I'm done. And if you need to confess sin, I'm not telling confess sin. If you need to thank God for his forgiveness and his mercy, thank God for his forgiveness and mercy. If you're just, you're just a wreck today and you have nothing else to pray, you just say, God, help me. Like, listen, pray that. But also, there's an example of an amazing psalm, amazing prayer of praise. Find something in here that you can talk to God about and learn, start learning how to do this. And that's what, the, again, that's what this is. It's, it's, it's a psalm. It's a song of praise. You know, this is very similar to the doxology that we'll sing at the end. The reason we sing the doxology together is it's a prayer, and we're all praying it together. Corporate prayer is important, but we're, si we're singing the prayer and song. We're aligning our hearts in the end to the one who is most important, getting our focus off us, and we're praising God for who he is. That's what this is doing. So I'm going to read it. Pay attention to it. Pick something out of it, and then we'll take some time to talk to God about it. Read Psalm 145 with me. I will extol you, my God and my King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty on the, and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth your fame. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of your glory of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all, upholds all who are falling 
and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cries and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Church, take some time to pray and then we'll pray together.